You're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey, back with an episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jessie Mahoney. She is a pediatrician in San Francisco, is the founder of Pause and Presence, and a founding leader of the Mindful Healthcare Collective, will be launching the Mindful Leaders podcast in 2021. So many exciting opportunities that we can talk about here today. Thanks for taking time to join me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, tell us a little bit about your story, combining all of those, maybe back to where it began. Let's just talk about pediatricianship in your life in medicine. Yeah. So I went to medical school actually to become a pediatrician. I was always going to take care of kids. Kids are my thing. And I've really always been about sort of preventive health and holistic health and teaching parents and educating and all of that. And so that's how I ended up in the pediatrician space. And I worked as a pediatrician for 20 years and took care of tons and tons of kids and families. And I have three kids of my own. So it all kind of comes full circle as you practice pediatrics and parent at the same time. And so really for me, a lot of the parent education and guidance has has made this work that I do in coaching and mindfulness and mindful living and how you approach your life and your relationships, it really brings it sort of full circle and back to that work. And in medicine, especially pediatrics, we're so much about how you live your life and how you sort of seek optimum health and changing the life of future generations and how we relate to one another and how difficult relationships cause problems all along the way, whether they're parents' challenges or kid challenges or grandparent challenges, all of those things. And so really the pediatrics, I think is just this, for me, it's the whole health and whole health of the family. We take care of the child, but the child is not alone in any Mm -hmm. capacity. So I practice essentially primary care pediatrics, although as you talk about, I like to be involved in lots of things. And so I was also a hospitalist, like a hybrid for almost my whole career. And so I would spend six or eight weeks in the hospital and I was always teaching residents and medical students. And the other thing that I did as a pediatrician and or physician was I led physician wellness in my organization for many, many years. Again, always trying to sort of make things better and moving towards something where things feel better and feel more aligned. And so that's mm-hmm. that's my background in, in medicine. Yes. And I love that. The ultimate preventative care, right? When we're working from day zero and even yes. sometimes before that, if you know multiple children of parents, right? You're seeing them even as they're preparing to have their children. In osteopathic medicine, we talk about unity and we talk about body, mind, and spirit, but let's take a minute and look at that family unit. I think that's so fascinating with pediatrics. We've had a couple of pediatricians on the show where you are caring for more than just this one person. 
right? You're seeing their family and the family dynamic and the impact of, I imagine, the community on a child growing up as well. How did you really hold space for that and manage so much when you're caring for children? Well, it's funny. So I never saw it as managing so much, which is why I think I immediately was drawn towards pediatrics because to me, that was the fun of it. And so it wasn't just the one patient. It was about, and you're absolutely right. It's not just even about their parents because so often it's about the grandparents who often come to pediatric visits also, Mm -hmm. and maybe the caregiver in many, many families. And then if it's not the grandparents, it's the caregiver. These days, everyone has a daycare provider. And so it's that person's idea of what health is and how to raise a child, whether it's feeding or sleeping or all of the philosophic things. And then communities, which during COVID looks a little bit different, but we were talking about our own kids and all the activities, right? And the impact Mm of, even now, the impact of what their parents think about COVID and the impact of of their own decisions. And so we really are not an island and pediatrics Mm -hmm. just brings all of that together. What I think it really helps you see is the impact of everything on health. And it sounds like I'm an MD, but I think that's, I probably would have made a great um, DO actually. This idea that all of that is, is the piece of health because the parents' philosophy about feeding is so much more important than, you know, that determines what they're actually going to feed the child. And that usually comes from their heritage and their culture, culture and their parents and all the other things and their own stress levels. And so it really is this very, um, community picture of everything influencing it. But I never saw it as, as like a problem. It's actually kind of an opportunity. And the solution is usually not unilateral. And so it's kind of like just, um, it's not a game. It's like weaving things together into mm-hmm. some magic picture of how it, how it works together. Now, sometimes when there's a problem, you have to unravel it and unweave it. But again, that's just sort of, um, it's a puzzle and, and figuring that out. And you have so many opportunities to make change and to improve health and to improve experiences. And I think that's kind of the magic and fun of pediatrics. Mm-hmm. I love that reframe and the opportunity is such a great place to go after overwhelm is where we begin, you know, think all these things I have to help manage. And you say, actually, no, there's so many opportunities to make a difference. And even if just one is addressed, I might be leveraging some positivity and some health for this patient. I often found that with my patients, we have this list. Well, there's these nine things that are probably contributing to your ongoing back pain. And people might think, oh my gosh, nine things. And I say, no, there's nine opportunities we have to make it better. And to be able to say that, I think can be so helpful. I'm curious how patients to see that too, right? Mm -hmm. When they see it as like, oh, I don't have nine problems. I have nine things I can improve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe just one is enough, right? If you do one, you're like, oh, I feel... 90% 90% better. And we have our 80-20 rule, right? That 20% of our work might get us 80% of our improvement. And so there can be really great opportunities in there. I'm curious how having that perspective in medicine helped you perhaps moving into physician wellness and into your work now with coaching to say that, oh, there are all kinds of ways that actually help support someone. And there might not be just one thing causing the difficulty. Have you found that to actually be a leverage point for you that you've taken with you into these new roles? I think absolutely. And it's probably why I was drawn to those roles because I like to see things from the big picture and not get sort of caught up in the details. And very much um, physician wellness comes from this place of culture, right? And it's the culture of medicine and the way we approach things. And some of it's our own mindset and some of it's, I'm going to call it systemic mindset, which Mm -hmm. I've never used that word before, but it seems perfect here. Mm -hmm. Anyway, 
the idea that it's it's the things many of the things outside of you or how you perceive them that's really influencing things. And so coaching is the same idea. It's it's how you choose to experience your parenting because you may have a colicky baby, for example, and it can be a problem or it cannot be a problem depending on your mindset. Mm -hmm. And then depending on how you respond to it impacts the baby's experience and the baby's health and, and your larger family. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger from there. And so I do think that it, that whether which one came first, my guess is that that has always been my bent. And that's why I went towards pediatrics and then why these other solutions and, and ways of changing medicine and ways of changing how we experience our life, whether we're in medicine or outside of medicine are really appealing to me because that's where I see the power really to shift all the tiny things comes from. I like to say, I often get this question um, and it started in the physician wellness realm. Like, well, why, why should we invest money in coaching as opposed to say teaching people about a plant-based diet or meditation? Mm -hmm. And point of fact, I am a mindfulness person, but my idea is like, when you change your mindset, that's what helps you do all the other things. Mm -hmm. And that's true in, in pediatrics too. When you sort of change the environment and the approach to being a parent, that's when the health really blossoms. And so it's, how you show up for all of it is what I always say that can really change everyone's experience. And so coaching allows you to be intentional about that. And physician wellness is really about being intentional about what we do. In the past, as physicians, there was a culture and we, everyone just sort of went along with it and went along with it. And then the world changed and medicine changed and it became much more so of a business than an art. And we didn't have our local family doctor anymore. And then we hadn't been intentional. And what happened is physicians really got to the point of suffering. And so for all of that, whether you're working on parenting and being intentional or whether you're working on physician wellness and being intentional or coaching and being intentional with whatever else you might want to work on, it's that intention that's really where the power is. Absolutely. And that's what I find too, when we make these recommendations to patients, if they don't have that capacity to think about it or to process it, or if they don't actually want to do it, we can make all the recommendations in the world and they won't have any traction and they won't stick. And so coming from that space of what will motivate you, what do you want to do? Why do you want to do it can make such a big difference. I'm curious. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no I want to hear from you. <laughs> I'm just curious about your role in physician wellness from relatively early in that space, right? So it's a phrase we hear a lot now, but even five years ago, 10 years ago, and certainly 20 years ago, it wasn't even a thing. And so tell me about stepping in there. You know, was it brought to you? Did you bring it to the health system? How did that catalytic moment happen? Well, um, and, and since you know me a bit personally, it happened because I speak up when I see something that needs changing. And so even as a chief resident, I was speaking up. And my story actually probably begins before that. You know, I grew up in Berkeley, and so I was taught to speak up and make change and be a noisemaker, and that's sort of my family culture. And then um, when I went to medical school, I started to notice all these things in medicine, which just didn't resonate, and I didn't understand why we were being 100% compassionate to patients, and no one was taking care of themselves. And we would tell patients to behave in a certain way, and then we wouldn't sleep or eat or you know, take a moment to go to the bathroom. And so started to say like, what's going on? And then I had a baby in medical school 
and a baby in residency. And with both of those, I ended up having pretty significant complications, which in retrospect were probably because I was a medical student and a resident because mm-hmm. my third baby had no complications, but who knows, right? <laughs> um, and I was much older with the third one. But, but by the time I became a chief resident, I sort of saw that the system wasn't set up to allow us to be human and to be moms and to have medical issues. And not just for me, but for lots of people. It wasn't just that I had that happen. I saw all kinds of things happen to my fellow residents and fellow medical students. And so I just began to speak up. Even as a chief resident, I was all about wellness. And then when I had my first job, I kept speaking up. And and so someone said, I think you should be in charge of this. It was literally my first year in practice. And this was in 2002. So by, you know, first six months in, I was the chair of physician wellness. But it wasn't really a thing, as you said. We had these meetings in a closet and we had no funding. And we would talk about what we could talk about at lunch or how could we help things and it um, evolved from there. And actually the organization I worked for was pretty forward thinking in that they had a person in each site. Like we started to do that and we had these meetings in a regional closet. We upgraded to that <laughs> for a while. And then by the time, you know, 20 years in, we had a lot of funding and a lot of um, really a lot of programs and were able to try out and pilot a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It's continuing. I mean, now it's evolving at such a much more rapid pace, but a lot of it was was getting people to just question how we did things in the beginning and to say, is this the right way to do it? And the progress was very, very slow. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, you now it has momentum and it has urgency, thankfully. Um, not thankfully because of COVID, but thankfully because now there's urgency and it's mm-hmm. it's a problem that really needs support and addressing so that we can keep providing fantastic care for everyone else. Yeah. So we eventually got there. <laughs> And that's such a helpful point. And to me, that's how osteopathic medicine began was that question in the saying, like, is this really the best we can do? <laughs> is there not anything else to be offered? And so that encouragement, if something doesn't seem quite right, there is power in asking, why do we keep doing it this way? And what could we be doing? And perhaps that willingness to take on the role. And how did you navigate that? And how did it influence your clinical work? Did it seem to be complementary? Did you have to scale back on one? How did you navigate that when they um, said, this is great. We want you to do it. <laughs> well, in the beginning, there was no time for these roles. In the end, I actually had um, some significant time and a significant budget. And I ran, you know, large scale conferences for thousands of doctors. And so, but um, to me, it informed it. But it also probably, if I look back on it, led to some burnout, like asking mm-hmm. questions and trying to make change in spaces where when you're sort of the early pioneer, you you get tired at some point. And so mm-hmm. I would say it was good and bad, but I also think it, it made me a better physician because I saw people coming in in their own situations where maybe things weren't working. It made, you, made me very much a realist and very mm-hmm. much a support for colleagues. And just to show up with compassion for the whole situation and for everyone around and to always be questioning. So it led me actually to take on a lot of operational leadership roles because in trying to fix wellness, that's where a lot of the changes need to happen. And so I would be, you know, the site chief of pediatrics and the chief physician wellness, which again was probably too many roles. And and yet that was sort of how you could navigate and begin to create cultural and systemic change. So through that, I learned a ton and grew a lot. It just took a lot of energy. And Mm -hmm. there is that push-pull, right? Because medicine's already a lot of work. And so when you have this whole other role, that's a lot of work. And you're just 
you know, doing the best you can along the way. And I've never, I've always been a questioner. And so for me, it was always just trying to figure out like, okay, well, I still need to, we need to figure this out. And so I would just keep going as best I could. It's not a straight road in any, Mm -hmm. any manner, but it became a lot easier as the momentum grew. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you put a lot of structure in place. If you pull through another tenant to make it functional, even in your absence or your succession in that space. So you put some some structure behind it to keep the purpose going, even if it does evolve, right? Because as the challenges are going to emerge, different things will come up. And did you notice that the key foundational points that were most helpful to kind of anchor the work you were doing? Well, I had always said, um, so in the last few years, really, our structure was around like personal wellness. And so making sure that there were resources for physicians and there was a culture that supported physicians taking care of themselves, whether it's they're, you know, going to the doctor or yoga or things like that, which a lot of people say, well, we shouldn't put that on them, but you still need to have all of that available. Mm -hmm. And then um, community and collegiality and building systems for that where it happens. And interestingly, it's evolved even in COVID. They're just doing a lot of it more virtually, for example. Mm -hmm. And then the last piece is the operational piece. And so when you have, that was sort of the structure that we had for the last few years, we're really kind of putting things in three buckets and figuring out how you can address those and where you put certain things. To be honest, they all overlap. I will say Mm -hmm. so they're not sort of three buckets. But once you have these systems in place or, and I guess you were talking about sort of foundational structure, then you just, it's your guidepost or your light post. And you can just Mm -hmm. sort of plot things along the way and it will inevitably change course um, and pivot in, in like a stream is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yet it helps guide your direction and your decision-making along the way. Yeah. And tell us how that leads into pause and presence. Cause I could see in there, like a pause could be a space for questioning or for letting go of questioning. And how did that emerge as your next iteration of work? So what I found, I think uh, I found coaching myself in a difficult spot and it, was really transformational for me. And as I had done all this work in wellness, I felt like it was this, this linchpin tool that people really needed. Physicians needed it, but not just physicians, parents needed it and people in all relationships needed it. And so I, after I worked with a coach myself, I went and became a coach and I became just so passionate about the work and I loved it. And I thought like, this is really the space that I want to move into because I found myself trying to do coaching like in my pediatric clinic and helping people learn mindfulness and in the midst of trying to practice, you know, um, high volume HMO pediatric care and do all the vaccines. And it, that wasn't really all possible. And what mm-hmm. I discovered is, you know, we get to change along the way and we get to discover our passions. And so pause and presence came out of that, that I just decided I really wanted to focus my energy and attention on really helping people change their experience because that to me was the thing that was helping them with their health. And so, you know, I could prescribe antibiotics for ear infections, but when I actually sat down with patients and helped them work on their mindset and learn how to do breathing and do mindfulness and all of those things, that's where I found patients, you know, no longer had depression and they didn't. And it's not, it's not like a medical approach to it. It's more of a holistic life approach to it. And I just 
feel like if you look at the things that impact, particularly kids' health, because that's my passion, but it's really everyone's health. If we can sort out these mindset issues and give ourselves space to see and notice things and then with intention change them, that's where just all of the other change occurs. And so pause and presence came from that. And it came really from this idea, the pause is the mindfulness. And I'm also a yoga instructor and I developed, I became a yoga instructor around the same time I became a coach. And I actually infuse mindfulness into all my coaching because it really creates the space, gives your brain that room where then you can become intentional about what you decide to do. And so um, I came up with pause and presence really from that, but it's actually begun to mean so many more things because our, our power is in that pause. Like when you slow down and you decide what you want to do. And I took a sabbatical last year and that was my pause. And that was when I was really, you know, when you sit with it and you're present in that pause and you get in touch with what's really your passion and the change you really want to make and where you want to go from here and you're just what your purpose in this world is, that's where I was like, this is my next step. This is the change that I want to be making, you know, for this next part of my life, whatever that looks like. And, and I do believe life is both short and long. <laughs> so nice. you should do what you are passionate about in that moment. And it's long and there's lots of pivots and lots of forks in the road and we can make changes in lots of different ways. And so that's how pause and presence was born. And I began, um, offering my own coaching through pause and presence. And I also do yoga through pause and presence and it's evolved into, um, I mostly, I almost 90% coach doctors, but I've also been able to bring it back to other, you know, trainees in academic institutions and coaching them. And so there's been, it's, mm-hmm. it encompasses all of these things that I'm really uh, passionate about. Yeah. And I see all those P's come through. We had power and pivot and passion. It's all I love when those emerge. And what I hear in the pause and presence is the invitation to call forth that self-healing capacity. And that's the third tenet that sometimes is hard for people to believe, right? So what do you mean I have the ability to be well? What if it's all inside? Then what's all this other stuff for? But it's really making space for it and listening for it and allowing that inner wisdom to come through. And I think you paint that picture so beautifully with pause and presence because sometimes we do need to stop and listen in order to, to hear what it is we're actually capable of. What have you noticed either for yourself or for your clients or even patients with whom you've used these techniques? How have you seen that self-healing capacity start to emerge in a different way? Well, I think when you pause and create this space, and I like to go to the breath too in the pause, like, but the pause is the being. We spend so much time solving and fixing and moving forward and looking for all the things either behind us or in front of us. And so when you just sit in the moment, you actually have a chance. You can start to see it's like clearing your glasses, the fog off your glasses or allowing the snow globe to settle. And then all of a sudden you can see where the solutions come. It's hard to be creative when you're overwhelmed and spinning. And it's hard to see which path is the right path or what really truly resonates with you when you're just focused on maybe what you should want or what you think you're supposed to be doing. Or even when we tell people around health, right, just get exercising, do this, do that, read this book, take this class. It's like people just, it's not authentic in their path forward. And so that pause just gives them that opportunity to really sit with who they are. And sometimes Actually, almost always, it's not very comfortable because most of us are not used to doing it. And yet in that space of the pause is where everything, that's your chance to sort of change the outcome and be who you want to be. 
but doesn't have to be a push. I actually like, um, you know, in medicine, we talk about healing by intention. Um, and I can't remember, you know, and it's this idea that the healing happens when you do nothing. And mm-hmm. for many things, that's where the healing needs to occur. And that's in the pause, right? So by, rather than intervening and sewing something up or t- stapling something together, you actually mm-hmm. just let it heal as it's supposed to. And that's where I think pausing and being present is kind of like that. Your body's figuring out in your brain who you are and what you're meant to do. And I think we get back to all those P's like passion mm-hmm. and purpose. And, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you can discover what's in there. And then that's where your strength comes and it, you yeah. just start to bloom and blossom from there. Yeah. So important. And to give ourselves credit for that in time for that to happen. And did that, which came first, we'll go to the mindful healthcare collective. Did that emerge as something from pause and presence or was that a totally separate piece or what do you notice? Uh, Pause and presence came first. And so I, that was really my own coaching journey and um, showing up as a coach for people who I say, I like to work with people who are successful on the surface yet struggling underneath, which might be all Mm -hmm. of us, but (laughs) this idea that many of us show up in the world and we give this aura on the outside that everything is great. And everyone thinks that's what we're supposed to do. And yet inside we have all this churn about, are we in the right space? And maybe we're really struggling with relationships or past stories or our own health. And so I began working with people through that specifically and specifically on relationships and career transitions and helping physicians who are struggling um, in with their own roles in medicine and burnout. And then when COVID emerged, we, a group of physicians joined together to form the Mindful Healthcare Collective. And the idea is that given all of the stress that showed up really acutely for folks. And we knew physicians were struggling. We wanted to create a space to help heal the healers. So it's really born from a physician wellness standpoint. And it's a group of nine physicians who also have a lot of mindfulness training. We all bring something slightly different, whether I bring the physician wellness and the yoga and the coaching and someone else brings specifically coaching and someone else brings the emotional freedom technique and um, someone else brings you know mindfulness-based stress reduction And everyone has quite a bit of extensive training in something else. And the thought is that mindfulness is evidence-based medicine in terms of helping physicians and others, you know, ward off anxiety, depression, heal, and um, leads to better health. And coaching is also evidence-based. And so we sort of bring that together. And and then we know that, as I mentioned excuse me, in the physician wellness world, community and collegiality are really, truly important. So the thought was to create a community where people could come together and heal, nourish themselves, restore and grow together. And so that's where the Mindful Healthcare Collective was born. And we essentially just showed up to meet meet the need. And the need was clearly tremendous during the last um, 10 months or so that we've been at it and continues ongoing. So Mm -hmm. it's been a great space just to connect people from across the country who are struggling and also to be able to share these tools and help people better understand what is a mindful life. And it doesn't have to be complicated or overwhelming and how can working on your mindset help you function at a much higher level? I always like to say up level is the word Mm -hmm. I use you know, or get to your version 2.0. And it's been really beautiful to see people make these discoveries in the midst of 
a really traumatic, tumultuous time. And so you would think like, well, we came to sort of to the rescue to sort of help people not fall off. And yet what happened is people really grew and developed these amazing skills and learned all kinds of new things. And we created this quite strong community that's continuing to move forward. Mm -hmm. And I love that collaboration is one of my key core values. So anytime we can band together, especially medicine, because we're often bred competitively, right? And we have our silos of institutions. And so to be able to break down those barriers and really engage and support one another is so fantastic. And I can see all these in-person events, right? Pending in the future. <laughs> it's like once we're free to, how many gatherings can take place there? What I also love is you're giving physicians back control. And so in a world when it seems like nothing is up to us, right? All of us are in our different states and closures and Hospital systems are doing different things and physicians are being furloughed. But to be able to say you always have control of your mindset is a huge gift, you know, in the re-giving of power back. And have you noticed that with those participating either in your coaching or in the Mindful Healthcare Collective, that you're seeing that sense of autonomy and power return to physicians? Absolutely. I think Um, There's an exercise I use a lot in coaching just about control and noticing what's in your control and what's not in your control and then what you're trying to control that's not in your control and that what you're trying to control that's not in your control is like the scary bucket and that's where all the anxiety and stress and distress comes from and once you can see it. It's then you can change it and you can't change the things in there that are out of your control, but you can just say, well, that is out of my control and you can focus on potentially what's in your control. And when you do that, that's where you get this sense of abundance and fullness and your power comes back. Mm -hmm. The other thing about mindfulness is to realize that our mind is doing all this spin, right? And mindfulness is just to settle back into your body and to connect with your breath and to realize that like in this one moment, you're okay. And when you can do that, you can do that wherever you are. So it takes a little bit of practice to get used to it, but that also gives you your control back. So when I teach yoga, I talk about your breath is available, is always available. And so even though we're focusing on it in a yoga class, it's like, once you realize you have your breath, I used to use this in a busy clinic day, right? In between you just take a few deep breaths and all of a sudden you're back centered in your body. So when people have these tools and they learn how to live a mindful life and just sort of to notice different things, and you can train your mind to notice the abundance, even in the middle of this intriguing world we're living in right now. Mm -hmm. And so that is your power to decide how much you want to struggle with whatever else is going on. And so definitely both through coaching and through mindfulness. And as I said, I I don't, I can't really separate them because for me, coaching is a form of mindfulness. It's maybe directed mindfulness because you're actually directing people to look at certain thoughts and beliefs, but it's kind of the ultimate in mindfulness once you've created space. What I find some people, when we talk about coaching, if we're really focused on just outcomes and goals that people maybe can't get there because their mind is still spinning. And that's where I love the sort of mindfulness piece to learn to allow your mind to rest and come back to peace. And from there, there's so much more power and um, forward momentum. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, we look forward to hearing more about that on the Mindful Healers podcast in 2021. That'll be great to tune into. And as we come to close here, we've heard a lot of different ways, but I'm curious what you would see and say as how you see yourself for the health of all things. So in 
to me, it's really this holistic health and this idea that your mind is what impacts your experience of your life. And so rather than just looking at maybe what you eat or antibiotics or how you treat this, but that your mind is really the key to the whole health of you and your whole experience of your life. And so digging into this, whether it's mindful living or true mindfulness or meditation, whatever you want to do, working with a coach that when you see that your power and your strength is in your mind, that's where you can really change and influence your whole experience of your life. And no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, whether you're practicing medicine in a difficult spot or things need to be changed, when you come from this place of peace and calm and groundedness, the solutions seem much more clear. The path forward seems much more clear And that reminds me actually of this thought. It's like, it's almost like they're not, there isn't a problem. And so it's like the issues aren't issues. It's just kind of like they're opportunities. And so Mm -hmm. then you don't have to be stuck. You have the tools to move forward and make the most of your, I always like to say your one wild and precious life from Mary Mm -hmm. Oliver, because I love that quote. And so that's really the power in the mind and for the health of all things. We all have a mind and we should do what we can to use it for us rather than it's not so much against us, but just happening to us. So to really use that as an asset to change your health and your life and your experience of all that this is here in the world. Such a gift and so osteopathic. And so, yes, you know, like you said, MD, but osteopathy is for all things and for all people and you embody it so well and so beautifully. And thank you for all you're bringing to patients to physicians and kind of to the greater good in the world. It's been such an honor for me to be able to work with you. And thank you for taking the time to be with me on the show today. And please tell the listeners where they could find you online and otherwise. So you can find me, um, my website is pauseandpresence.com. It's also jessiemahoneymd.com. And Jesse is with an IE. I always say not like Jesse James, which has an E. <laughs> so you can find me there. You can also find me doing lots of activities, teaching yoga and the Mindful Healthcare Collective. And in the new year, you can find us on the Mindful Healers podcast, which should be out in early January. So great. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.